This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to part two of the Weekend Mailbag. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined, as always, by the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And, of course, above all of that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbly. So let's jump right back into the mailbag with M. Talon, who asks... Not that he's a very big deal like Chris Nimbley, but what's the logic in cutting Neil Sterling? And why keep Eric Tomlinson if you're going to cut Sterling? He's touted as a good blocker, but he really isn't one. Seems he only really excels at accumulating holding penalties. Would have been useful for Herndon suspension. So let's start with Tomlinson first. Tomlinson actually was a good blocker and then kind of fell off a cliff last year. If you go and watch Joe Blewett's film review from the year before, he actually was pretty good in 2017. But last year, I don't really know what happened to him. As far as cutting Neil Sterling and keeping Tomlinson, my guess is that Tomlinson is probably on the bubble anyway. Because from what I understand, and you can elaborate on this, Chris, that was really more of a McCagnan call. I don't think that Gase really wanted to bring Tomlinson back. It seemed like he wanted Fells. So if Wesco turns out to be the type of player that Fells is after this suspension with Christopher Herndon, I wouldn't be super surprised if Tomlinson ends up being shown the door anyway. So I really think that at this point, between Sterling and Tomlinson, you're not really losing anything. You can make the case that they should have kept Sterling over Tomlinson, but who really cares? Yeah, that, I mean, that's really what it comes down to. <laughs> who really cares? Uh, one thing about cutting Sterling is I, I, I do agree he would have been a better option to keep than Tomlinson, and I do think he can help as a, a receiving tight end, but... I'm I'm guessing because they, there's a bunch of people that we know aren't going to make this team that they could have cut and instead of Neil Sterling. I assume that yeah, Douglas was like, "Yeah, we're not keeping you on this 53-man roster, so we might as well cut you, let you go, and try to catch you on somewhere else." So that's most likely what the move is. I'm with you on Eric Tomlinson. It's funny because last off season, uh, you know, I, I was, people, what do Thomas is still on the scene? He's a really good blocker. Well, last year he made me look bad because he has not been a really good blocker. So, uh, it, it, that's, that's definitely going to be a problem, but I, I don't expect him to be on this team long. I won't be I'm surprised that obviously if he's on this team opening day and the first week or two until Hernan is, uh, comes back from the suspension, but unless he drastically improves this offseason and really sells the coaching staff on him, I don't see him sticking around and making it through the season. So it's gonna they're gonna need some a more out of Wesco, obviously, and Herndon to not get another DUI or stay out of trouble and keep doing what he's doing. But I don't expect uh, Tomlinson to be around too too long. And if Jason Douglas find an opportunity. To, to find somebody they like better than them, they will absolutely pounce on that. Next question comes in from Brian DiPiazza. He says, who are the players to watch out for from other teams that could turn into Jets after camp cuts? <sighs> Man, at this point, honestly, there's really no way to answer that. It's so hard to know who's in danger of being cut from other teams right now that the Jets might have their eye on. There are plenty, I'm sure, that are kind of under the radar, and this is why Joe Douglas made a point at his press conference that introduced him as the new Jets general manager to say that the Jets are third in the waiver order. They already exercised that a few times, and I'm sure they will again down the line, but at this moment, it's really impossible to know who they should be keeping their eye on. 
Yeah, this is one of those things where I, you know, I could do a lot of digging and find out some stuff uh, to players who are more likely. But if I'm doing that with one team, then I'm going to have to do that with 32 teams. And that's, uh, I'm just going to be honest, that's way too much. I'm not doing all that work. <laughs> I, I got these next five weeks off, six weeks off. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be honest. I ain't doing all that. That's, that's way too much. That would, it would be so time consuming and so many phone calls and, it's it's not worth it. Um, and then the, and I'd be able to get a little bit better of an idea, but I, I'm still not gonna. You know, I might be able to get like thirty percent, forty percent. I'm not doing all that work for that. Um, and there's no, there's going to be surprises. There, there'd be surprises no matter how much you looked into. Uh, you know, sometimes you can't tell. The, the teams have no idea because right now they're sitting there thinking, oh, we're definitely going to be rolling with this guy. But then they have an undrafted rookie that came along and just absolutely blowing everything out of the water. And they're just like, hey, wait, we can roll with this guy. Or one of their draft picks that they picked in the fourth or fifth round thinking he'd be a developmental guy showed he's ready a lot sooner than they thought. So they're ready to move on and save some money that way. Uh, There's all types of little things like that that just can't really be predicted. That just makes trying to dig into that right now just an exercise in futility. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from David O'Rourke. He says... If Joe Douglas could make only one trade before the offseason starts, who would it be for and what would the Jets give up? Please try to keep it realistic. I'm going to twist this a little because I'm not sure if he means if you were Joe Douglas, what would you do? Or what will Joe Douglas actually do? Because I don't really think Joe Douglas is going to make a trade. I guess it's possible that he could, but I don't think he will. If I were to keep it realistic, I would say, depending on what happens with Xavier Rhodes, because I had heard that he got hurt the other day in training camp, if it's not anything severe, then they won't feel the need to clutch on to Trey Waynes. I think that could be a possibility. Somebody like that, if you could get him for like a fourth round pick. Trey Waynes is really good in man coverage. I think that he would be an interesting fit in Greg Williams' defense, and he's the kind of guy that it might be worth giving up a fourth round pick 
pick for because he's still relatively young. And if he did well, you would be able to keep him and sign him to a long-term deal. So that would be my answer. Obviously, you could go a little bigger and say they could go after somebody like Jalen Ramsey. But like you said, I'm trying to keep this realistic. I think that somebody like Trey Waynes could be an interesting one if he were available for the right price and if Greg Williams felt comfortable bringing him into the secondary. Yeah, you're the only one listening to me right now as I speak, but I can already feel the people when they are going to listen to this that they're going to be sitting there saying Jalen Ramsey, Jalen Ramsey. Hope he says <laughs> Jalen Ramsey. I have a feeling that, that that's going to be happening, and now all those people are sitting there nodding their heads to this right now, uh, or in the future, I should say. Uh, but I don't see that happening. Um, I don't. I don't see Adam Gase really wanting to bring him in. I don't see Joe, Joe Douglas making that his first move on uh, and paying that type of premium for him. And it's one of those things like uh, Jalen Ramsey signed me up. I'm I'm all for it. But a lot of football guys don't like players that talk like Jalen Ramsey, and that kind of goes against a lot of the culture stuff that they've been preaching. So I I wouldn't expect to see that. I I'll just say that it. If there's going to be even a remotely big trade, I see it being for a cornerback or an offensive lineman. Um, you know, you just said uh, Trey Wayne's Xavier Rhodes would work. I don't know who the offensive lineman is that they could target there, who that would be. But if somebody were to become available for whatever reason, um, then I could see them doing it. You know, Corey Lindsley with the Packers, we talked about around draft time. Although it seems like the guy, uh, Elton Jenkins, they drafted, is probably going to, they're trying him at guard. But if he were to pop up, then I could see him making a move there. Um, that would seem to be a, a, a smart, a really smart decision could probably be had. But um, I'd, I'd say more, most likely scenario would be for a cornerback, which one is going to be the question. But there, I do think there's a realistic possibility of getting uh, a, a fairly decent quarterback. I just don't think Jalen Ramsey's going to be that one. Don't get me wrong. I'd love to see the Jets get Jalen Ramsey, and I actually think he'd be a perfect fit for Greg Williams because he's got that attitude and that moxie that Greg Williams seems to love. <coughs> However, I just don't see Joe Douglas coming in here and immediately wanting yeah. to pay huge money and give up premium draft picks for this guy. I think he probably is very much looking forward to having the draft capital going into the 2020 draft to, as we said, really rebuild this roster from the bottom up. And I don't think that he's going to make a big splash like that. Like I said, I think if anything, and Chris, you agreed as far as the cornerback position goes, he would go with somebody a little more low-key like a Trey Waynes. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, obviously they could they pull off a lot of smaller trades, too, at other positions. But if it's going to be anything that's, you know, bigger or not necessarily blockbuster, but closer to that, I think it would be for a cornerback. But, yeah, again, and the, uh, Jalen's personality, I just don't see that being his big first move, bringing him in here. Um I'd be all for it. I, and, uh, he's a hell of a player. I don't care that he likes to run his mouth. Uh, he would only be a problem if they're losing, and if they're losing, that's a problem anyway. So I would never be scared of adding a Jalen Ramsey, but I, I don't think that's something that he's going to be looking to do. Hey, guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint 
unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from Rodimus Prime. He says, are you more excited for the Watchmen series on HBO or the boys on Amazon Prime? Also, when it comes to wings, do you prefer flats or drums? So let's start with the wings. I'm very much a drum guy over flats when it comes to wings. Not even close for me. I always go right for the drums. Next part of the question, are you more excited for the Watchmen series on HBO or the boys on Amazon Prime? I got to be honest. I don't know anything about either one of them. So, Chris, maybe you got something on that, but unfortunately I got nothing. But I am a big drums over flats guy when it comes to wings. Well, I'll start with the wings. The A perfect drum is is the best. However, it's rare to get a perfect drum, so I like the flats. Uh, I, I do the move where I just hold the flats in my hands. I use my pointed fingers, and I just push all the meat through. <laughs> and then I rip the meat out, and then I just dip it in some ranch, and then I just guzzle it whole from there so i typically a perfect drum when you can just dip it in there sauce and then just get a nice clean bite that that's perfect but it's rare that you get those guys so i go with the flats because you do tend to get a little more meat with them uh as for the the move the question with the watchman and the boys the watch watchman i i heard they were coming out with it and i kind of was like yeah whatever because that movie, the movie that came out, really left a bad taste in my mouth when it came out. I was really excited for it. Started off, I was like, "Yeah, this is kind of cool." Then it, was, it just wasn't what I expected, nearly as good as I was hoping for. But the, from what I've seen, it looks really good. I'm really excited for it. I don't know much about the show, The Boys, but I did see uh, a trailer for it the other day. I was kind of half paying attention. And it, it got my attention. It piqued my interest. I don't like watching too much of trailers. So as soon as I realized that I, I was interested, I was just like, all right, no need to look at it again. It piqued my attention. I will watch. Um, I'd probably say I'm a little more excited about The Watchmen, though, just because I hope they can overcome uh, what uh, the bad taste with the movie. And I think there's just because what I know of The Watchmen, there's so much potential there. I think especially um, HBO doing it, it, the cinematography on it, I'm sure no matter how well written the show is, there's one thing Game of Thrones the last season people could complain about the writing on the show and a lot of the stuff, how rushed everything was. But the cinematography of it, it was beautifully shot. And uh, the HBO um, is going to do the same thing. So I feel like Watchmen's the safer bet there. I should add, as far as the drums versus flats, a big part of the reason I prefer the drums is that they're just so much easier. You pick it up, you bite yeah. it, that's it. With the flats, there's just too much effort. And when it comes to wings, I'm not really in the mood to do more than one step. Just give me the thing, let me bite it, and that's it. I don't want to have to be ripping it open or poking it or any of that. Forget it. It's wings. It's supposed to be fun. Let me just pick it up and eat it. And that's why I prefer the drums. Yeah, I get it. Uh, like I said, there's just too many times I go for a drum and then I, t- I go to bite and I'm like, oh, where's the meat? The, what, what happened here? Or there's like some like knots in, in there that I can't like get around. So it's just, it, it, it's, it's not that much work. You just, you just raise the flat, just put your two pointed fingers over and push down, and, and that's it. Still too many steps for me, Chris. So. All right, all right, all right. Next question comes in from Peter Dillard. He says, hey, Scott, and the very big deal, Chris Nimbly. 
Who do you think is in danger of being traded or cut or even simply not re-signed now that Joe Douglas is here? Are there any favorites that McCagnan had or that were brought in during his tenure that you think over the next year or two could be phased out? I'm sure there are plenty. Obviously, Tremaine Johnson is the prime candidate. If he doesn't pick it up, they're going to probably try to find a way to get rid of him ASAP. I know that the way that the contract is structured, they're pretty much stuck with him for three years, but maybe there's a way that they can figure that out. Beyond that, it's really hard to tell because we don't know how these guys are going to perform. I would say that a good portion of the offensive line is probably in trouble. I don't know that Brandon Shell is going to be here. I don't know that Kelvin Beecham is going to be here. I don't know that Brian Winters is going to be here, even a Semele, depending on his health. Harrison, we don't know. So I would say that there's a good chance that any or all of them could be gone at the end of the season. There are other guys, too. Obviously, if Quincy Inunua can't stay healthy, then there's somebody that could end up getting cut in a year or two. Daryl Roberts, if they are able to upgrade a cornerback, is someone that could be on the chopping block. And, of course, obviously, there are guys on the defensive line. Somebody like Foley Fadakasi is obviously going to be in danger. And if Nathan Shepard doesn't start to pick it up, he's got a chance to be shown the door at some point. So I think there are a variety of guys on the roster that could be in danger, but a lot of it's just going to be based on how they perform. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you go with the bottom of the guy, roster guys or, you know, towards the bottom of the roster, like Foley or Nathan Shepard. Um, you know, you say Quincy's not, he's not at the bottom of the roster, but if he has more injury issues, I forget exactly how that contract's structured, but I know they can move out of it pretty easily. Um, I, I think the key, the, the big thing there, Daryl Roberts is definitely another one, uh, but that offensive line, like you said, uh, now there's, there's no way that they're all going to be gone because that's just not going to happen, but, that not a single one of those guys are starting are guaranteed to be here next year or even anywhere close to guaranteed to be here next year. I would think Osemele would have the strongest chance if he can stay healthy, but who knows if that, what that's going to be. And uh, obviously he's a little uh, getting up there in age too, but, uh, you know, Jonathan Harrison, I know that if, if he doesn't work out, they can move on from him quickly. Brian Winter's contract's going to be up. They can move on from him and, and save some money there. Each of them I don't expect to be back pretty much no matter what. And then, so I, I don't know that I'd say the same, but I wouldn't be surprised at all there. So there, there's not a spot on the offensive line right now where I, I, I feel confident saying they'll be back next year. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from the Jet Ranger. He says, with Bilal Powell back, how do you think he will be utilized this year in the Gase offense? 
I could be in the minority here, but I think that Bilal Powell, as long as he stays healthy, is going to end up surpassing Ty Montgomery on the Jets' depth chart and end up being the secondary option to Le'Veon Bell. And I think he'll get a fair amount of touches because they're not going to want to run Le'Veon Bell into the ground because they saw what happened in Pittsburgh. They know he's had injuries and he's getting older, so they're going to want to preserve him, especially if they're in the playoff hunt late in the season. And I think as far as what Adam Gase will do with him, look, you can say what you want to, about Adam Gase, and Lord knows I've criticized him plenty, but he's done a really good job getting running backs out in space and getting them touches, and I think Bilal Powell is a really strong fit for what Gase likes to do because we've seen what he can do when he gets the ball out in space. So I think Bilal Powell has a chance to have a pretty solid year as the secondary option to Le'Veon Bell if he stays healthy. Yeah, I'll say right now, his right now his room is pretty much I, I see as a third down back when Le'Veon's not in there, uh, mostly because of his uh, pass protection ability as well. Um, but a lot of it is going to depend on Ty Montgomery and also the other wide receivers, especially, you know, let's just hypothetically assume that the top three guys stay healthy and have no issues. Then what's the rest of the depth look like? Does Deontay Burnett step up? Do they have other guys they can go to? Because right now they are using him as both a wide receiver and a running back. And if they have a need for player Tyler, Tyler Montgomery more at receiver than they do at running back, then that's going to give Lyle Powell way more touches at running back. So that will play a factor in it too. If he's not needed at wide receiver, then that's not going to be as big of an issue. Then they'll have to split some more. He'll will have to split those carries up even more with Tyler Montgomery, but I have a feeling they're going to be needing him and with that, that receiver a lot. So I could definitely see Blau Powell get, getting a lot of those backup touches. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from Gus Toon, who says, how much credit do you think our president, Jamal Adams, deserves for the New York Jets revolution? Famously last year, he said, that he needed more dogs, and since then, all these changes have happened. We all knew it, but he's the one who said it. I love Jamal Adams. He's a great player, but not really any credit goes to him for this. I mean, I'm glad that he tried to recruit Le'Veon Bell, and it's a positive sign, but if the Jets didn't pay him more money than the other teams, he wasn't going to come here. Let's be real about it. Adam Gase didn't go out and lobby for Joe Douglas because Jamal Adams told him to. C.J. Mosley didn't come here because Jamal Adams told him to. Now listen, I'm sure all these guys are looking forward to playing with Jamal Adams, and I'm sure that Joe Douglas is thrilled to have him on the roster, and obviously he means a lot to this organization and to the fan base, but I can't give him credit for what's going on right now. He's not the general manager or the coach or the owner or anything like that. He wasn't making these decisions. So as much as I would love to give Jamal Adams credit for all the positive moves, I can't. There's only one position that can really attract players, and that's quarterback. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam Darnold continues like he is. He can attract some players, and he's not going to have to go out there and sell them on it. People are just going to want to come to him. Uh, I, I do think, and I, I do know that a lot of players around the league really respect Jamal, and mm-hmm. they definitely really like him, and they look at him and be like, hey, it would be fun to play with him because just look at him, how much fun he has. They, they let him be himself. That's cool. That's appealing. But there's so many uh, things on the checklist 
before Jamal Adams or before, hey, that guy looks like he has fun there. I want to be a part of that. Uh, that goes into players making the decisions. Uh, they're not making decisions based on who the safety is at a certain team. It's not going to happen. The, the uh, Like I said, for quarterbacks, that'll definitely attract people there. And uh, Jamal is definitely a positive influence, definitely is attractive but he's that's so far down the, the checklist for people that is it that's not enough to actually make an impact yeah there's no question that these guys are all going to want to play with jamal adams and i credit him for making a real effort to get better players in here and try and recruit them but as you said chris there's a lot more that goes into consideration and certainly a big part of it would be a big fat check from ownership yeah, absolutely. That's always number one. Uh, that's number one. And then players going to look into their playing time and, uh, you know, the situation for them, what it'll mean there. And then they look at location and, you know, it depends on each player where they want to play. So want to avoid bigger markets. And if a player doesn't feel like playing in New York, Jamal Adams isn't going to convince them to come play in New York. Um, you know, so everybody's a little bit different there, but it's always going to be the money that does the, the selling. Next question comes in from Tommy Griffin Krantz. He says, and this is a really interesting one, theoretical, who do you think would have been the better long-term team? Let's say Mike McCagnan had hired Matt Rule instead of Adam Gase, and thus Rule doesn't push him out. Do you think Rule and Mac would have been better or Gase and Douglas? I'm going to say Gase and Douglas, and here's why. A lot of people are going to get on my case for this, but I think the general manager is more important than the coach because the general manager is the architect of the team, and in most cases, he has the ability to hire and fire the coach. I think that the talent you have on the team comes before anything else. So with the rare exception of somebody like Bill Belichick, who's just on another level than pretty much anybody who's ever been a coach in any sport ever... No matter how good or bad of a coach you are, if you don't have the right talent on the team, you're just not going to succeed. So I think that the guy who runs the front office is the most important man in the building, or at least he should be. So my answer is Douglas and Gase for that reason. I would have preferred Rule to Gase, obviously. But I will also say this. I think that Joe Douglas is in a position now with that six-year deal where he can feel comfortable that if he and Gase have some sort of schism the way that McCagnan and Bowles did, he can just go right to management and say, you know what, this isn't working out the way that I thought that it would, and so we're going to have to go ahead and make a change. So, yeah, I think Douglas is the most important of the four guys that you mentioned and the best addition that they could have made. So that's who I'm going with. I'll go with Douglas and Gase, even though I was very much against the Gase hire and still have a lot of reservations about it. Yeah, I'm going to agree. And number one, as much as I was on board with Rule, I have no idea what he's going to be, but I do know what McCagnan was, mm -hmm. and that's just simply not good enough. I have my questions and concerns about Gase as well, but it, it, like you just said, this is the important thing. The GM matters more. How many times have we seen coaches that aren't that great do a good job or take the team far because the talent was just that good. If you, if you, the GM stocks the roster with enough, enough talent, it's going to be really hard for a coach to hold them back where only Belichick and then even, you know, offensively Andy Reid, I guess, uh, is really going to excel the process with the players. They're the only ones who are going to be able to take whatever you give them and elevate them. 
Uh, there's not a lot of that right now. There's <laughs> most of the coaching in this league is pretty close to even outside of the outliers. There's some really bad ones and there's those couple really good ones, but the rest are pretty much the same. And what separates them is the talent. And that's why you see a lot of these coaches getting re- rehired, recycled. And that's why the Jets looked at Adam Gase and said, hey, we like you. We'll bring you in, even though you didn't have a great success in Miami. But look what you were working with. Uh, that doesn't. I know that people did that with uh, Bowles, and that they would say that oh, Bowles didn't get a shot because McCagnan gave it. But it doesn't really happen uh, the other way around. There's, there's no one. So the GM is vastly more important. You need the talented players there, and if you get them enough good players, they will elevate the coach more so than any coach can elevate the roster. Next question comes in from Thomas Arnone. He says, what's the deal with the market for Mo Claiborne? And is he the kind of player Joe Douglas would want to look at? Or maybe a veteran like Grimes or Munnerlin would be more of the type Bam Bam would go after. So first of all, let's start with Grimes. There's no way that's happening. He doesn't fit what Gase wants in a football player. Just think about Miko Grimes. He does not want that hassle. And we know this because when he was in Miami, one of the first moves that he made as head coach was to move on from Grimes. It was him and Steven Ross saying together that they'd had enough of all the drama that was being brought. So forget about him. As far as Munnerlin and Claiborne, I understand that Claiborne is injured, and so they're probably waiting to see what the story is there. And Munnerlin, I'm not sure what his price tag is. I have no idea whether or not Bam Bam would want him. By the way, kudos to you, Thomas, for calling him Bam Bam. We are going to make that his official nickname. I'm working on it right now. I don't care what anybody says. He is a dead ringer for Bam Bam Bigelow, and so that's going to be his nickname. But I would assume that they're going to look for corner help in some form or fashion. I know that they grabbed a couple off of the waiver wire. I'm sure there will be more. And I think that if Claiborne can prove himself to be healthy, he'll certainly be in the mix to possibly be signed by the Jets. But I do think that Joe Douglas will look at all options. Yeah, I think he's going to look at all options, and I think he's going to hope that he can, you know, find them on this roster again, give him a lot of training camp to see if somebody will jump out, you know, whether it's Derek Jones or, you know, somebody even less likely like Jeremy Clark or one of the guys they just picked up. I think he'll keep scouring the waiver wire. We talked about the possibility of looking to upgrade through trade. I, I, I'm not ruling Morris Claiborne out but I don't think that they're really sitting there thinking we got Morris Claiborne uh, that we can fall back on. I think they're looking for improvements there. Like you said, it's not going to be Brent Grimes. Adam Gaze is not going to go through that again. We know that. Um, And I don't see it with Captain Munderland either. Uh, He's not, you know, he had a very brief moment where he was playing good, but it's not somebody that's really going to fix the issues there. So I just see them continuing to upgrade them or trying to anyway. And if they try a bunch of stuff and nothing's sticking and nothing's working out, then I can see them resorting to Morris Claiborne. But obviously, he doesn't have a bunch of people uh, breaking down his doors uh, looking for him either. So they're they're not in a rush there. They're going to try out a whole bunch of other stuff before they go to Morris Claiborne. I should add that the Jets and Joe Douglas will look everywhere for solutions except at Brett Grimes because I promise you they are absolutely not going to be doing that. Next question comes in from Prepare for Disappointment. He says, what route will the Jets choose for the parade after Joe Douglas delivers the Super Bowl next February? 
I would have to say that it would probably be right around where the Rangers celebrated in 1994, right? I can't remember exactly what route it was, but that was a huge parade and everybody was really pumped up. And it would be a similar situation because the Rangers hadn't won in 54 years. And if the Jets win, it would be the first time they'd won in 51 years. So I would say they would have to look at that wherever it was that the Rangers had their parade. Yeah, they're gonna go out out of one Jets drive, make a right up park, and then a left onto Columbia Turnpike, go through Morristown, and then the Sussex Turnpike right past my house. <laughs> um, that, uh, no, uh, obviously, I I've never been a big parade guy, so they'll do something in New York City, and I do not know anything about these parade routes. But it'll be a big a big parade in in New York City, probably right down. Uh, or something like that. Jets would go all out for it there, but they obviously have a huge parade. Uh, I have no idea how to talk about uh, outlying parade routes, though. Obviously, Chris, if they do have a parade because they win the Super Bowl, you will be on the float because you're a very big deal, and the Jets know this, that you would be a huge part of their success because if they weren't fortunate enough to have you covering the team they wouldn't have had the luck that they did to put together a team that would win the super bowl so let's be real about it you may say you don't love parades but you're going to be one of the grand marshals if the parade actually happens yeah i guess uh, i had it a little uh, backwards there they're gonna have to go back to Stone pike to drop me off on the way <laughs> on the way home next question comes in from jp waxer he says are Douglas's comments about a strong offensive and defensive line a hint that the Jets might be bad this year until he puts his fingerprints on it? I think that the defensive line is going to be very good, and it's simply for this reason. They have the Williams boys. So if you have Quinn Williams and Leonard Williams, it's hard to imagine that they're not going to be really good. Plus, Henry Anderson's there. you got McClendon for depth. They're going to be fine on the defensive line. As far as the offensive line, listen, he said that he believes in building in the trenches. I don't think that he necessarily meant that both sides of the line are bad. I think that what he meant is it's a lot easier to succeed as a football team if you have confidence in your offensive and defensive lines. I'm sure he realizes that the offensive line needs a lot of fixing. I'm sure he realizes that the best case scenario is for them to be about average in pass blocking and below average in run blocking. But I don't know that he necessarily thinks they're going to be terrible. I think maybe he believes that Pollock can elevate them to at least somewhere between, let's say, 15th and 20th in the league, which isn't great, but you could probably get by with that for a year. But yeah, I think he knows that he has to fix that long term. But defensive line, I think that he's probably pretty pleased with what he's got. Yeah, I think he would have said those comments even if they had had the best offensive and defensive lines in the history of football mm-hmm. right now. He, that's something he believes in, and as he should, because that is something that everybody should believe in. We've talking about it forever. As long as I've been covering football, people were talking about it, and still people want to fall in love with all these other things that don't matter nearly as much. So he would have said that no matter what. The bigger hint when talking about the offensive line is the players that we're talking about. The players just aren't that good. I absolutely agree with you, and Joe Douglas and Adam Gase agree with you about Frank Pollock, hoping that he will be able to elevate their game and improve uh, the offensive line there that way. But I don't think his comments had anything to do with the actual current state 
of either of these guys. That's just his philosophy. He, uh, you know, he came out and he said, quarterback most important. It just so happens he's, he's comfortable. He's got the quarterback there. So defensive line, like you said, they're pretty set. Offensive line, they're not. But I don't think he said that because of that. I just think that's what he believes. Uh, the, it's just a coincidence that the offensive line is not very good.